0: Listeners, this is Ed Franklin with the Ed Franklin No Limits podcast. You know, you can always get a hold of me at franklin.nolimits at gmail.com. We're closing in on that 100th episode that I've been talking about that I'm going to do live, and I'll absolutely, uh, absolutely advertise that when it's time. And I hope you can join me live and get, me some, get some live feedback. And today we have another guest on. Um, this gentleman's name is Tim Rohr. I met Tim a few years back, and um, he was kind of... I guess mentoring me in some way. And we're going to talk a lot about mentorship today because Tim wrote a book called Sales Lessons of the World's Greatest Mentor. Tim, thanks for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Great to be here, Ed. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, good to see you. So Tim and I are probably about as opposite as you can get (laughs) personality-wise. He's a little, he's a lot more thoughtful than me, kind of more laid back and I'm out there kind of you know doing it but we always have good conversations when we get together we try to get together every few months and and have a, a have some lunch and kind of talk and tim's always got some good feedback so um this book uh is awesome i read the whole book thank you uh, you you take a very different approach than most people with sales books cuz when you tell me you're writing a book i'm like Yeah, that's what we need is another you know another sales book everybody's got an opinion on how to sell but the so difference I'm, in yours, and I'm not I'm, just saying this because you're here, is you give examples of how you learned these lessons. You talk about a specific person, mostly that that kind of helped, that kind of led you down this path. And um, so, man, so welcome to the podcast. I let's talk about this book. So, thank you. Uh, what what got you to even think about writing this?
1: So uh, quite a while ago, I was writing a, a blog. It was called the Sales Loudmouth. And just every week or every other week, I would write down my thoughts about sales and selling. And I realized that after I wrote about 150 of these um, blog posts, I didn't have anything left to say. So I just stopped. You know how a lot of times, if you read sales columns or read sales books, people keep saying the same things over and over again. And I, I I get that because there's kind of a A new audience that keeps coming in and they need to know the basic lessons and they need to know you know prospecting and qualifying and presenting and all that but i just got bored you know and i didn't have anything left to say so i just stopped and for a long time i just had those columns on a uh, thumb drive just sitting here on my desk right and then one day i decided i'm going to write a book but i'm going to write a storytelling book because i think people learn better when there's a story, people are more engaged and more interested, they, they yes. hang in there, right? And so I thought, okay, well, let me look through my old blog post. I didn't have all 150. I only had like a dozen of them. And I thought, what could I do that would tie it all together? And I came up with the idea of connecting it all to the lessons that I was taught by my mentor, Dick Harlow. And so what you end up with is a book that's it's factual, but there's some historical fiction in there, too. You know, it's like I had to rearrange some of the settings and I had to um, I had to throw in some additional insights that I may not have learned right at that exact moment. But for the most yeah. part, it's sort of a, a three year timeline of the lessons I learned in sales uh, from from a person who was brand new to sales. and And there's so many people who who get into sales and they have no idea what right. they're doing. And they're they're not as lucky as me. They don't end up with a person who really cares about their career and their progress and their success. And so I wanted to write a book about that. And I also, I wanted to write a book saying thank you to my mentor, you know, because I just don't think people do that. Like, when was the last time you go back 30 years to the beginning of your sales career, look the person up and say, I just want to say thanks because that was awesome. So that's what the book does.
0: Well it's it's and it, and it's exactly what it does. So one of the plat, one of the pieces to my podcast is the storytelling, right? We all need we all have a story. And we all have two versions of our story as far as I'm concerned. You have this one like I've come on and told this great story about my life and how every, there was never anything wrong and everything was great <laughs> to this point. And then I can go back and tell you the one where I grew up with an alcoholic father and I could I could leave people in tears by the time I'm 18, right? Of all the bad stuff that happened. But I never looked at it like that. I just thought that was my life and that was the way it goes. And I think salespeople sometimes they tell the wrong story when they're out there. They end up complaining to a customer instead of, you know, telling them the good parts of the story to get so that person gets to know them a little bit, so there's a little more personal contact. And I was kidding with my wife. I said, Tim's one of these guys. When he some of the some of the sentences in the book to me were funny because you really outlined, I remember when the guy lights the cigarette and the, and the end of the tip of the cigarette turns red. I would never think of putting something like that in, but it's a good touch and it kind of takes you yeah. into that. It kind of helps fill in the storyline.
1: So yeah, I was trying to draw, I was trying to draw people in, you know, cause I, I think the book is a good read, even if you're not into sales. And that's kind of what I was hoping for is like a non-salesperson could read it and still enjoy it and, and understand the lessons, but really also connect to the story itself
0: well yeah and you definitely and i i think this is the podcast is going to help that because all the people who listen to my podcast aren't in sales but i would tell them that this is a good book just about relationship building just about you know how to speak to people how to listen to people you're a good listener i know when we're out somewhere i'm usually the one doing all the talking <laughs> and you you do a good job at listening and then you can formulate an opinion off of you know what i've said so it all starts in college and in Domino's Pizza. That was that one kind of was funny to me because Kit worked at Domino's years ago, my wife, and and uh, that's kind of how it all started with her. But you got into the business side of things. So tell us a little bit about. And I don't want to give the whole book away in the podcast, but I'm going to pick a few things out that I that struck me as interesting.
1: Yeah, sure. I started driving for Domino's Pizza in between years at college. You know, as a summer job, and. I just loved it. I just loved being around the the, the place and I, yeah. I love learning all the different aspects of the job. And so when I came home for Christmas break or for spring break, I was back at the store driving and making tips and you know, getting to know how the whole business worked. And then I got really intrigued because they told me that if you were a store manager for a, for a year, that made you eligible to become a franchisee. Oh, wow. And Domino's Pizza was growing like crazy back in the early 80s. And um, I, I went, you know, I was enjoying school okay, but it just never really spoke to me the way I thought it would. Maybe I went to the wrong school. I went to a really big school, UNC Chapel Hill, and maybe I should have been to a smaller school, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, who knows what was going on in my 20 year old mind. But I decided to quit college after my sophomore year, and go into the manager training program at Domino's Pizza and rapidly rose through the ranks and became a store manager and then a store supervisor. And then the uh, director of operations for the franchise that I worked for. Oh, wow. And I helped grow the, the business from 18 stores to 33 stores doing $12 million a year in revenue.
0: Good Lord. And, Did you? So I have some kids that work for In-N-Out Burger that have worked for them. And then I have one, my son, one of my son-in-laws works for In-N-Out Burger. And these, this company is really a company that takes care of you.
1: Yeah. And, you know,
0: I never worked in fast food, but when you, when you look at, when I talked to him about the culture and the ownership and, and I used to actually sell products to in and out Burger. It was a fantastic organization. still is a fantastic organization. This gal's growing it. She's a young girl too. She's like the granddaughter of the, you know, original people. She's doing a good job. So, um, so that was interesting. But you learned a lot about business. I mean, you were learning more there than you were in college, apparently.
1: (laughs) That's for sure. And and you know what, I was learning the things I wanted to learn, too. And that was really the key. You know, I didn't really, I didn't like college so much the first couple years, because it was all general curriculum courses, you have to, take, you know, two years of foreign language and two years of history, and you have to do this and that and pass a swimming test. And I was like, I don't want to do any of that. I want to, I want to learn about how to run a business and at domino's pizza they taught me how to do that and they paid me money
0: nice it
1: was great
0: well when i got into sales i remember i i I was i wanted to get back into sales i was working for pepsi driving a truck and i was then i was running the service department and i was going through a divorce i said yeah i need more money i gotta pay child support and everything right and the owner of uh i mean the general manager says look don't you you'd be a horrible salesperson do not go into sales (laughs) and um so i've been now been selling for 35 years since then and um it just goes to show you know people aren't always right about what you're going to do
1: did I'm you finish surprised. Getting- i'm always yeah, surprised when people want to tell you what not to do of course lives you know it's just it always kind of like you, you you hear these stories about people who've made it big and their advice to everybody else is don't listen to the naysayers and i'm thinking who are these people but apparently there are people who are willing to say you won't be good at this or you can't do that and i
0: I just well, <laughs> I can tell you as I'm going through this trying to be do more public speaking and things like that. I can read somebody when they just think, you know, you shouldn't do this. And and I just ignore it, obviously. I don't I in a custer. I don't care anymore what people think. <laughs> I'm too old to care and I don't and I don't and I know they're not gonna be right. So um it's funny, I'm reading another book right now that um, I'll, I'll get you. You need to read this book. So far, what I've read in it, you'll really like it. And the guy says at one point, there's no statues of critics anywhere in the world, right? <laughs> Never a statue of a critic, always a statue of a person that's been successful. Yes. So another, th- something that jumped out in the book, and I should show the people the book, and I going to put it on. Uh, I am going to put it on a link to it when I do this podcast, when I publish it. Thank you. The, the pen was interesting to me the mount block a mount block pin mount blonk pen it's
1: interesting like the mountain yeah
0: yeah presentation is everything right yes it's always that you know when you show up to a call what you're looking like when you show up to that call and you know how well you're put together and things like that and i was lucky i've been able to wear a suit to work and i've been able to wear construction you know jeans and a construction vest and things like that And depending on the atmosphere, if the dress is appropriate, nobody cares, right? Right. But it's the guys in suits that show up on construction sites and vice versa, the guys that show up in the jeans and dirty jeans that want to sell you, you know, something near an executive. Right. But tell that story quickly. That was, uh, I like that story.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, Dick came into a sales meeting one day and he's carrying a bag and we didn't know what was in it, but Dick always ran our sales meetings even though most general managers don't most general managers let the general sales manager run the sales meetings but dick loved it right he was a sales manager at heart and so he ran this one particular sales meeting where he had us sign our name using a big pen and then sign our name just below it using this mont blanc pen and he made the point that the big pen was a hundred times cheaper than the mont blanc but you couldn't really distinguish the the ink from each other and the signature right. the same and you know they both wrote fine he says you know but why why is it that people are willing to pay a hundred dollars for this pen it's funny now because that same pen is six hundred dollars by the way jeez i should have hung on to mine Yeah, but he says the reason why people are willing to to pay more is because it's it's beautiful right it's the way it's presented it comes in its own lacquer Box with silk bedding. The instructions come in seven languages, you know, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And it makes you feel good to hold it in your hands, and you know when you pull it out of your pocket to sign something, people notice it. Yeah. And and his point was, look, it's not about the utility of something; it's about how you present it, and that was especially intriguing to us in radio because we sold a commodity, you know, one commercial on one radio station was essentially the same as a commercial on another. And so in order to sell more than the other guy, you had to distinguish between them. And Dick's point was don't distinguish between the radio stations, distinguish distinguish between yourself and the other radio sellers, present yourself, right? And you will will find that that's where you have an edge. And uh, I just thought the way he taught the lesson was just so brilliant. You know, and then in the end, he, he, he gave all of us a Mont Blanc pen, which was the capper, right? That, sure. was, that was the presentation. It was a, it, what's cool about it is like, it's a story about the fact that presentation is everything, but he was demonstrating that presentation is everything while he was saying it, it was kind of sort of like the meta version of the sales meeting. You know, it was like, yeah. there's a lesson within the lesson and it was just really, really cool. And it just stuck with me all these years.
0: So I brought this up when I was in construction sales. People would, they're always trying to nickel and dime you, right? Get that price down, get the goods. They're going back to that commodity thing. And I I would bring up sometimes in sales meetings, I remember bringing up to a guy one time why he was wearing these certain glasses. And they were Oakley glasses. And I wear Oakley glasses. My prescription glasses are Oakley. They're like $150. And they're very comfortable and stylish and they never go out of style. And they would say, well, you know, you're a little bit too high. And I'd say, what kind of glasses are you wearing? You could get the same plastic glasses at Walmart for ten dollars, they just say banana bread on them or (laughs) something, right? But you will wear you'll spend $150 and wear these to a construction site because they're comfortable, they're stylish, and all those things. So, I always that's where I really learn to start selling value to somebody, right? Forget the price, let's not talk about the price, let's find out what you're buying first, yeah. You know, if there was no such thing. If it was all about price, Ferrari, Porsche, Mercedes, it'd all be out of business, right? Because we know that a Hyundai will get you to the liquor store just as much as good as a Mercedes, but it's how it makes you feel. It's always funny. I see these really rich guys. I saw this guy the other day, one of these guys from Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful. And he walks by this Lamborghini and he says, what a waste of money. Well, not to the person who bought that Lamborghini. That makes them feel good and they have the money to buy it. Let them buy it. He spends money on stuff I'm sure I wouldn't spend money on. Yep. Right. But that's just their thing. And that goes back to the critics. Who cares? You know, it's not your money. Don't worry about it. Let right. let those companies and those employees have jobs because people will buy those people will buy those products. Something you mentioned in your book too about having music at at um, sales meetings. I love that. Uh, kind of getting people you know just kind of change their tune right literally when they come into a meeting did you guys do that a lot is that where you learned that
1: yeah every meeting so at the beginning of every meeting there was always music playing and it's really interesting what music does to people right if you ever notice in a movie they'll be telling you the story and then at some point in the movie they have to they have to in a very short period of time like two or three minutes Mm -hmm. um tell tell a timeline that lasts for maybe months right so you're like you're in this day-to-day story but now months have to go by and you still have to stay connected to the story and the way they do it is they play a song and then they show some scenes but the music creates a mood and it changes your emotions and dick knew that if you're playing music as people walk into a conference room no matter what baggage they brought in there with them, they set it aside because the music changes the way they feel. And if you pick the right songs, you can get people to feel a certain way. And so I found that to be super interesting. And I I love the psychology of selling and playing music in advance of a sales meeting to get people to feel a certain way or to bring everybody together around a singular message is really very clever and it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I listen to music a lot, uh, especially when I'm driving. And you know those songs, and I listen to serious, so I might listen to 70s or 80s, you know, serious music. And there's that song that just takes you back yes, to that moment in life, right, where you were maybe you were dating a certain person or you, you know, something was going on. And that happens a lot. And I even have my kids now or grandkids, like, singing that music when I'm driving. Of course, it's going to take them back to me in the car, which is okay.
1: That's fine, right. That's But I have
0: a whole different memory, you know, of what that music does for me. So you got into radio advertising. Wow, that's a big jump from pizza, right, to radio advertising. How the heck did that happen?
1: Well, what happened was the the guys who own the Domino's pizza franchise that I worked for got into a fight, and they ended up taking it into bankruptcy protection. Oh, no. so they they split the assets up and I knew I was a director of operations of a 33 store, $12 million a year operation, and it was going to become, you know, separated. And so whatever my guy, um, my owner was Dan, whatever he ended up with, he wouldn't need a director of operations. You know, he might need a store supervisor. Yeah. I was too young and brash and foolish to talk to him about it and try to figure out what's my role in the new entity instead i i quit to start my own business with the marketing director who also was getting laid off right we started this business that really had no chance of succeeding because we were way undercapitalized but i didn't know that you know i was in my 20s and it was my first try and so we, we did that for about 18 months and i ran up huge credit card debts and then we folded the business and i needed to find a job and i did not want to go back into food service um
0: the business felt, is tough, man. It's a tough business.
1: Well, I felt like I'd already done it, you know? Yeah. And I I, you know, I explored a little bit. I talked to the people at PepsiCo. They owned at the time Taco Bell and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pizza Hut. Now yeah. that's called Yum Brands. It
0: used to be called Tricon. So. Right. Right. So when I worked for, I used to sell a product. After, after the guy told me I shouldn't sell, I should just shut up and do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. This friend of mine, there was a supplier, came in and said, hey, this guy's hiring. And I went over and got a sales job. Because about two weeks before that, I said, I was complaining about my job. And someone says, you know what, you can quit. It's okay. I mean, you can just quit and go do something else. And I'm like, no, shit, I can do that. (laughs) So I went and got this sales job. And the guy says, well, this is what you have to do. I said, hold on, all I got to do is go talk to people. And if they buy my stuff up, you'll pay me extra? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. That sounds easier than hell. Yes. And it was, it was easy to just for me to go out and sell. I could walk up to anybody in a grocery store if I needed to. But I had to go, I worked with Pepsi a lot and we had to go survey bag in a box uh, racks and pumps and all that stuff for Tricon. So it was all these, I was up in the Northwest doing all these things. So anyway, I mean, get off track there. But
1: well, anyway, I did talk to them and they would have hired me, but they wanted me to go back and work in the stores, you know, and right. I feel like, OK, I get I mean, I get that, but I've already done that and I didn't want to do it again. And so I decided I was going to try to find something different. And it took me a long time to find something. And eventually I read this book that says, here's how you get a job. You make a list of all the people, you know, and you call them up and you tell them you need some help because you need to get a job. And this is something you and I talked about, right? Not too long. Sure. Ago. And I made that list and I called a guy named Phil Zachary, who was the general manager of a radio station in Raleigh that I had done business with. Uh, when I had my own business. And he said, yeah, we're hiring in Charlotte. So I went up to Charlotte and I interviewed and I got the job and um, moved up to Charlotte and started my career in the radio advertising business in 1990.
0: Now, did you go to school? Did What college did Michael Jordan go to?
1: Yeah, he went to UNC Chapel Hill. He and I were there at the same time.
0: You were there at the same time. That That had to be kind of interesting. We'll talk about that again at another lunch. But Yeah, I was enamored with him and I was playing, I played a lot of basketball. So when he was coming through, you know, they were doing the NCAAs and everything. I was just fascinated by him and still am and have been. And um, so that's pretty cool. So radio advertising, I'll tell you my experience with that. When I was at Allstate, we had a guy come in and talk to us from a radio station. And it was very interesting, the things they were telling me. I'd never had any experience with that. And I was I was very interested in doing that. I thought radio advertising was great. I used to listen to KGB, you know, the DSC show. I don't know if you know who they are, but uh, Dave Rickards, my kids went to school with his kids, and I thought that would have been a great thing for Allstate to do, but they weren't interested in doing that advertising. And it wasn't that expensive, actually, really, in the whole scheme of things Yeah, for what they wanted to spend on other things. But something I wanted to talk about. So is Dick Harlow
1: still with us? Yeah, he sure is. In fact, he's still in the video business. He is the uh, chief operating officer of a small broadcast company in North Carolina, and they own radio stations in places like New Bern, North Carolina, oh, nice. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and a couple of other places. I've got about 20. So, yeah, he and I spoke the other day. We're going to get together in, uh, in June. Oh, that's great. OK, good. Probably going to do some speaking engagements. <coughs> so that's kind of cool.
0: So an interesting thing towards the end of the book when you finally leave the radio business um it, it seems like you guys just kind of said hey i got a new job and you just kind of went and went and like so he went somewhere and you went. it's like there was never you never really capped off how your relationship ended at that time obviously it's still going but
1: right right well yeah it was suspended for quite a quite a while you know we didn't talk to each yeah. other for i don't know you know two decades maybe
0: oh wow so that that was interesting to me because you know you never want that to happen with somebody right no matter good or bad i mean i talked to girlfriends from high school still you know and um yeah when that happened i'm like oh no i hope that something you know i hope it wasn't a bad thing at the end I'm not, i am not i'm not giving away the book it's not like a story that no you know, right. i can't <laughs> tell you the ending to, but um right that was just interesting how you guys ended up splitting going different directions
1: well, it was interesting because at the time, radio, well, and for a long time thereafter, radio was going through this consolidation where people were buying each other up and then laying yeah. people off. And there was a lot of shuffling going on. And, you know, you didn't want to be the person who was left without a seat when the music stopped. And so when, when our company, when our station was sold to another company, uh, I got a phone call from some people down the street and they said, why don't you come work over here? You know, we've got a sales manager position. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And I thought it was a really great opportunity. So, so I took it. And you know, um, for Dick, breaking up with me was not that big of a deal. I was just, I was a salesperson that had been on the staff for three years. But for me, breaking up with Dick was traumatic. It was horrible, right? Because he was my mentor. And I thought the world of him and our relationship meant so much. But now, he didn't know any of that and I mean until recently, right? When I wrote a book about him and told him. Sure. So
0: um how did he feel about you writing the book about it? Was he kind of humbled by that? Or
1: when I first told him I was going to write this book, it was a number of years ago. Yeah. Let me say I didn't write it at the time, but I I contacted him and I said, I'm gonna write this book and I'm gonna call it the sales lessons of Dick Harlow. And he says, Oh, I, I wish you wouldn't do that. And I said, Why? And he said, I work for a company that for whatever reason, they wouldn't think that that was cool and yeah. they would give me a hard time about it. And he says, I don't know, it just wouldn't be good for me. And I thought, well, you're working for the wrong company if a company would treat you that way, right? So well, I he wasn't
0: think- a flamboyant guy though, right? He was, uh, no. so no. he probably felt like that was being a flamboyant or something. Maybe
1: a little show offy or something, yeah. but. You know uh i just thought he was working for the wrong company because anybody who would not celebrate a person who had a book written about him to to me that's crazy right that's foolish uh, but there are a lot of radio companies out there who are kind of that way and a little little snobby and they like to be controlling and so he knew that his company was was that way and so i didn't yeah. write the book but then um yeah i did some other things like i went to college part-time and that took me five years to finally get my my degree that I had. I was going
0: to ask you if you got your degree. Good for you. Yeah,
1: yeah. last year, you know, um, I, I went to Boston and walked across the stage at Northeastern University. So I got a Bachelor of Science in Leadership. Nice. And I came back from, from that. And, you know, all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands because I was spending a lot of time doing schoolwork. And I thought, OK, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a world-class pickleball player. And um become nationally ranked in my age group
0: right? there you go this is a big deal this pickleball I-
1: Pickleball, right it's a big deal so this was last year and i i went out to the club and uh, joined up you know with all the people playing pickleball on a tuesday night and in the very first game i lunged forward to hit a ball and tore the fascia in the bottom of my left foot right hobbled off the court ended up in a boot and the dream of becoming a national pickleball player had to be put on hold. So now oh, I had this good time. for you. <laughs> right, it's still coming around. So now I had all this time on my hands and I couldn't do anything like play pickleball or tennis or golf. So I said, okay, I'm going to write that book. And so I did, right? And so that was last year. It took me about six months to write it then another month to edit it. And by this time, of course, Dick was no longer with that company. He was with this Thanks. small broadcast company, and he was the big shot and nobody could tell him that somebody couldn't write a book about him. And so this time I told him I was writing the book and he was, I like, mean, on a
0: really small scale, I, when I was running the chamber, I the paper would come and talk to me a lot or the news media would come. We had a situation in Poway where they were, and, uh, what was it? Oh, they had a water line break or something and they had to shut restaurants down for a week. So they wanted to speak with me. So they call me, KUSI calls me. I go down to the city. Talked to him, got a clean shirt on, did all you know, kind of presented, and they interviewed me, and they put literally about a four-second clip on the rate on TV about what I was talking about. Now I didn't want them to spend a half an hour on me, right. but for all that time, I told Kit I'll never do that again. If they call me; they can do it over the phone or something. Mm-hmm. I was never wanting to anybody to write anything about me if I was doing a good job because we I did a good job. It just is a part of my job, so I never wanted anybody. It's imba- you know, it's kind of odd. I'm very careful on my podcast when I talk about my children because I don't want to embarrass them. Because I got some great stories, but everybody would know who I was talking about, and I don't want to put them in that situation. So I kind of hold back on that. So your foot problem comes back to another question I was going to ask you. So you were taking these golf lessons. Yes. And you got into a situation where you couldn't golf as good or whatever, but, but you were starting to mentor, in a way, the... Pro there, right? Young guy. Yeah,
1: right. My instructor at Golf tech. Yeah.
0: Kind of trying to help him um, on his sales process because, you know, especially people our age, when we think of salespeople, our, I think my mind goes right back to the 60s with the guy with the plaid jacket, right? at the car dealership. Yeah. He's trying to sell you a $200 car for $2,000, right? And that's where salespeople really got their bad name.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: And I remember in the chamber, people would say, well, I'm not a salesman. I own the company, but I'm not a salesman. I said, well, I got news for you. Everybody in the world is a salesperson. And I would say, and I didn't want to ass- make, this, and make this insulting, but I'd say, even Jesus had to sell what he was doing, right? He kind of had to get out there and give information on his product, if you want to call it that. Sure. And he kind of had to let you know. So so this golf pro um, just couldn't get over that hump to get to that place he wanted to be. So he ends up working at Golf Tech giving lessons, right? Right. And you mentioned something about a
1: disappointment
0: gap. And I thought that was interesting. Tell me about that, that little tidbit. Yeah,
1: so when you sell something that depends upon a result, you run the risk of the person who buys it expecting one result and the person who sells it knowing that there's going to be a different lesser result. But the person selling it doesn't explain that. And as a consequence, the buyer is unhappy because they didn't get the results they expected. So what I taught people in the radio business was to lower expectations because you you can't really increase results, right? So as much as you like to believe your radio station is fantastic, and if you write the best possible commercial, then you're going to achieve these remarkable results for this local advertiser. The fact of the matter is you don't control that. But what you have some control over is what the person expects to happen. And so you downplay the the results and and the bottom line. Then when when the results meet the expectation, the person's happy or satisfied, right? Not disappointed. So the disappointment gap is the difference between the expected results and the actual results. And that disappointment gap is what creates churn. It's the reason why people don't renew. So it's the reason why people don't renew radio advertising. And it's also the reason why people don't renew golf lessons. Mm -hmm. And so what I taught uh, William was, look, you have to understand why it is that people are coming to take a golf lesson. And you have to talk to them about what it is they can expect realistically before they take a single lesson. Because then when they take the lessons and they do get the results that you told them they'd get, then they'll just keep taking more lessons because it's working. But if they come in and they say, I wanna be able to shoot 75 on a regular basis. And you say, well, what do you shoot now? And they say 95, mm-hmm. you need to say to them, that's probably not gonna happen. Instead, what you guys say is, okay, well, in order to achieve the kind of results that you're expecting, you need to take you know, 52 lessons over the course of the next 52 weeks, and it's gonna cost you $7,500. I said, but what you know in your heart is even if they came into practice three times a week and they took all those 52 lessons, they're not going to improve their score by 20 strokes. Right. But the fact of the matter is they don't need to improve their score by 20 strokes in order to be happy with their game. The key to selling golf lessons is making sure the student enjoys the game more than how they're currently enjoying it. Right. So you have to ask them questions about what would it be what would it mean to you if you were able to achieve some improvement in this aspect of the game or that aspect of the game and they'll tell you things like if i just if i could just not be the shortest driver in my regular foursome that would be great because i'm tired of the guys calling me shorty it's very insulting i right. laugh along with them but i but i really want to you know s- smash a 3 iron over their heads so if you could just do that for the guy right yeah then that's enough because then they enjoy the game more. You know, if you could say to them, what would it feel like to have to hit just one shot out of a sand bunker? Wow, that would be incredible. If you every time I got into a sand bunker, I could be guaranteed I'm gonna get out with a single swing. That would, that would change my life. Okay, well, you can you can do that for a student. That's something you can do, right? Yeah. And and they're telling you that if you could just do that they would enjoy the game so much more and they would be willing to pay you money to have, have that skill. And that's a skill well, that you
0: can teach. And that's something I've talked to people about. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to something else and to kind of tell about how I met you. When I when you talk about a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods or anybody, Tom Brady, they become experts at doing the same thing the same way every time, right? That's really what their skill is is to be able to focus in and concentrate and release that ball at the same time, or hit, you know, swing that club at the same the same way every time, and then they can make little adjustments. It's it's us hackers like I'm a terrible golfer, but I just can't. First, I, I just can't get any of it figured out. I really need lessons if I want to continue to do it. <clears throat> but it's those kind of little things that you can definitely teach people. So marketing, you taught me something when we met. You were working for Gil Cargall, and you were coming in. And we had like a what do you call it, like an uh, executive group. Right. And we would discuss things on a regular basis and try to improve each other's business, learning through each other, right? Yes. And I told you something that the problem with, I always saw with that is that people would go back to work and go right back to their same habits, right? They'd, they'd agree and they'd say, yeah, I could do that. And, this, and then they go right back to their same habits. But you taught me something. You were at the whiteboard at Allstate one day. And you said... Marketing is about credibility and sales is about relationships, right? Marketing is the history of your company, what products you carry, how long you've been doing it, all those things that make people feel comfortable with you. And then when you sell it, you have those relationships. What I see in marketing, and I had a, who I consider an expert a couple podcasts ago, is people will say, well, I'm going to spend, I have this much budget for six months, and then I expect all these things. Right. Of course we know that marketing is a is a crapshoot a lot of times. It's a roll of the dice. You gotta make sure your demographics are straight. You understand your demographics, you know. But you told a story in your book about a guy that was advertising and he was and I think the gal in your office kind of broke down the numbers for you. Yes. And said if you know, if every customer brings two more customers in and then you extrapolate that information out five years or whatever. Right. This, this could be his result, right? I, I think it's that's a hard thing to explain to customers, and it's even worse if you don't understand the math, right? Yes. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, if, you, if you can't explain, like, I remember a guy telling me, we had a storytelling marketing class I went to, and he was saying, if you're a grocery store, and you know that only people about two miles away from you are going to come to your store, Right in a circle, why would you advertise 10 miles away? Right. So that's just kind of demographic, makes sense, right? You want right. z- you want to advertise in these zip codes. And when I was in the car business for a very short time, they used to find all the people with bad credit within a mile of these car dealerships and send out these ads. You know, fifty dollars get you a car or whatever. Right. Credit, bad credit, no credit, doesn't matter. Coming. And these are all these some of them, they, some of them are tricks and they feel greasy. And some of them are really good information and it shows how marketing works, right? And I know you've been doing this a long time. Maybe you can just comment on what I just said or you may even have a story about what I just said, but that information is super vital to teaching people how marketing works.
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, different types of marketing works, works different ways. Mm-hmm. It depends right. upon um, when you're trying to reach people in their buyer journey, So, for example, in the car business, once somebody decides that they have a situation that might lend them to getting an additional car or a new car, then it's about 90 to 120 days typically before they pull the trigger. And so when you advertise on the radio, what you're advertising is that you are a credible place to do business right? Mm-hmm. And when the time comes, you should consider doing business at this Ford dealership or this Toyota dealership. You're, what you're not doing is you're not saying to people, I know that this situation has happened to you. Therefore, it's time to come in right now and look at our special deals. And when you use radio for that type of message you're shrinking the available audience down to just the people who've had that situation. So let's pick a situation that might cause somebody to, to need another car. So I have a situation right now. My 19 year old son just came back from college and we don't have a car for him to drive around because his younger brother is now driving the car he drove before he went to college. Okay. So we could use another car. So the situation has occurred, right? An additional driver has come home and now we're sharing cars and we don't want to so that's our situation now we have to think about our alternatives we could get another car or we could share cars or we could use uber when we need to or we Mm -hmm. could buy him a bike or we could buy him an electric scooter we have all these choices right so once we decide, okay, the way we're gonna solve this situation is we're gonna get another car. Now the clock is ticking. Now I have to start doing research to find out what kind of car we're going to buy him. And so where am I gonna do that research? It's gonna be on the internet. It used to be 30 years ago, we would do that research a different way, but now it's all one way, it's all on the internet. And when I get on the internet, what I'm looking for are brands that I know and trust. And the reason I know and trust them is because before the situation happened, they taught me to trust them. Right. That's the storytelling medium, TV and radio, that should have been delivering that message of, hey, we're a good place to do business long before my situation. Because now that my situation has happened, there's only three months and they cannot possibly build a relationship with me in three months. So I'm going to go only with the people that have developed that relationship with me over the course of a lifetime. So that narrows down the possibilities right away. So now I start doing my research and what I'm looking for is familiar names that feel good to me. And those familiar names have all advertised to me in the past, right? Um, So now I'm not tuning into the radio or TV hoping to see an ad. I don't do that, right? Right. All all the information is available to me on the internet. So that's where I do my marketing once I'm in my buyer journey. So if once you understand how it is that people shop and and, and what causes them to get into and out of markets, then you oh. can start to address the correct marketing messages and the correct marketing medium for each of those different kinds of people.
0: So it's funny, I would uh, I would go to people and say, hey, um, either doing sales or marketing in a lot of companies, especially small companies, when they start running into, when it starts getting slow, they cut sales, they cut marketing, do all those things. And they say, well, why should I do it? I don't get anything out of it. I said, no, because you've never got in it for the long haul, right? You understand if you watch the Super Bowl, you're probably going to see an Apple commercial. Do you think they really need to advertise? Well, in their mind, they know that the, yes, they do. Because they're in for the long game. Right. And they might have a new widget or something that they're selling. And something that, um, Apple does that that I was listening to a Steve Jobs like little commentary thing. And he was saying, you know, Nike never advertises shoes or clothes. They advertise for high performance, right? Right. They don't advertise how good the shoes feel. They say if you wear these, look at what Michael Jordan does when he wears these shoes. That's why you need to wear them. They celebrate athletics. And I think people a lot of times just, they just don't get it. It's not something you learn unless you've been in a business like you for a long time. And I know very little about marketing in the whole scheme of things, but I know a lot more than most you know, people because um, I've always been on the sales side of things. So they, I said, look, I remember when I went to work for Allstate, they had a sales and marketing person. And I said, you know, those are different jobs. Right? I said to the owner, he did not think that was funny, by the way, he kind of <laughs> took it as a hit. But I said, you know, marketing is very operational. Sales is very, you know, relationship thing. They do work together, but it's not the same job if you tell me you've got a really good marketing guy and he's good at sales too, that's usually not going to happen just because they have two different, very different personalities. One's operations, one's sales, in my opinion. anyway. So, um, yeah, that's just, that's interesting. So I never really thought about what you just said about you've already been sold that product for the last 30 years, right? You already know, we all know like Toyota, Nissan, all these guys are very dependable. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. That was a good way to put that. See, how yeah, smart you are. I yeah. want everybody to read this book because, like I said, even if you're not in sales or marketing, this you the way you tell a story, you're very effective. And I, when I gave you my yeah. review, it was very from the heart is that the, someone my age could read this book, or someone 20 could read this book, and there's going to get something out of it. That's, that's what the way you wrote this book, that's what was so brilliant about it, is it's very relatable. You can go, oh yeah, I I make that that I, I get that, right? So you told about something, and I don't know if I told you the story about Ken Blanchard going in a second, but you had gone to this like a seminar, right? And they had these speakers there and you were gonna you were gonna go and learn some stuff and come out of there flying, you know, and you're gonna go out right. and sell, sell, sell. And what you ended up doing is something I would have done and you started counting people at the place going, if they all spent $100, this guy's making a killing, right? So you did, you went through that process. Yeah. <clears throat> so then you said, I got an idea. Why don't we do this? It's easy. You just invite people to a thing. And I'm not bringing up, because it's a failure, because I don't think it was really a failure, but I'm, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying that it seemed like you could pull this off, right? So you get a venue. you get, so. and, yeah, you get Ken Blanchard, and you get somebody else, and this was what? Is This twenty years ago.
1: This was in the, This was nineteen ninety three. So okay, 30- so
0: yeah, so Ken Blanchard. If for those of you that don't know, probably young people, he's like the godfather of motivational speaking books. He wrote the One Minute Manager, right? Yep. So I come home from school one day, and there's this kid sitting there with my daughter, and there's other daughters around. I have so many. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I shake his hand. He says, this is Atticus. They introduced me. And I used to always do this to the girls, you know, the guys that came over to our house. I'm like, drive my daughters crazy. So what does your dad do for a living? You know, you can kind of tell about somebody. He says, uh, and he works for my grandpa. I don't really know what he does. And I said, well, what do you mean? What does your grandpa do? He goes, I don't know. He wrote some books and stuff like that. I said, well, what's your grandpa's name? Let's try to draw some information out of this kid, right? right. He goes, Ken Blanchard. And I said, oh, my God. Do you even because Ken Blanchard's uh son, I think Ken Blanchard too lives in Rancho Bernardo still.
1: Yeah, I met he him, in, did, he uh, lives yeah. In
0: yeah, I've yeah, met him a couple other times at some events. And I've told him this story. And um, I said, You really don't it's like Michael Jordan's daughter says, Well, who's that guy? And they go, That's Michael Jordan. He says, No, that's my dad, actually. <laughs> right. right? They don't care who Michael Jordan is, they know it's their dad. Yep. So here this kid didn't really know what his what his grandfather did, but um, That was just pretty interesting that he, uh, that I met that kid like that. So you guys hired Ken Blanchard, you hired another guy. I didn't recognize the other guy's name.
1: Harvey McKay. Yeah, Harvey McKay was a big deal in the 90s. He wrote, Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive.
0: Oh, wow. So I didn't recognize his name. Yeah. But, and you planned this whole event, you get a venue and you sell a bunch of tickets, but you didn't sell close to what you thought you were going to sell.
1: Not even close. Maybe. We probably sold 15% of the number of tickets that we thought we were gonna sell. So, so I liked
0: was, how Dick handled this. So Dick Harlow, you go back and get it with your tail between your legs. Yeah.
1: yeah. A, few, a few days after the seminar was over, you know, I was trying to avoid Dick because <laughs> it was such a bad uh, such a bad episode and we spent so much money and you know, yeah. radio stations didn't normally do that. And Dick went out on a limb for me and my idea and I just thought that he was going to be really upset. And I I honestly thought I could get fired over it, you know? Yeah. And he called me into his office and he started telling me the story about this promotion that went wrong at this radio station that he was managing in a different town. And at the end of it, I said, why why are you telling me this story? And he said, because projects fail, Tim. Projects fail all the time. He says, um, people learn, right? So... Even though our project did not succeed, we learned some really valuable lessons and we know what to do if there's a next time or, you know, right. maybe, maybe we've learned not to do it at all. He says, but you know what? He says, it's it's okay. You know, go out there and sell some radio advertising.
0: Well, that's cool. I remember um, I would always say to people that, and I don't know if this is positively true, but Abraham Lincoln would say he met many people in his life. And what he learned most from people is what not to do, right? Right. those are those critics we talk about Those statues of critics out there um anyway dude i i'm so glad you wrote this book you did a great job you really did. did i'm not just saying sure. it because you're on my podcast if, if i didn't think it was a good book you wouldn't be on the podcast i can guarantee you that and um and i'm looking forward to us getting together again and chatting about stuff anything else you want to say about the book i mean it's on amazon i'm like i said i'll put a link in when I do the advertising and I'll send you everything so you can share it with your friends. Hopefully we sell some more books for you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. I will, uh, I will link back to this podcast on, on LinkedIn and I will also put it on my website, which is Tim That's R O mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've, if if you, if you buy the book, if you read the book, I would appreciate you going on to Amazon and giving it a review because that, yep, good. that helps a lot for search results. And other than that, thank you so much for having me on the podcast that it was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's
0: always good. Like I said, I don't really plan anything out on these podcasts. We just kind of have an organic conversation and, and uh, no, you did a great job. So stay on for a second. I'm just going to do an outro here and then we'll chat for a minute. So Good. Um, everybody, thank you for listening. This is the Ed Franklin No Limits podcast. Uh, you can get me. Uh, if you're on YouTube watching this, uh, please subscribe to my channel. Um, if not, make sure you share it if you see it on social media so get the word gets out there. And I appreciate you listening. You can go to my website, which is kind of under progr- uh, uh, construction right now. It's it's no dot in there, uh, dot com. So check it out. And um, if you guys are looking for anybody to come and do a speaking engagement, um, it might not be a good a good speech, but it'll be funny. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> gotta advertise something. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I will see all of you very soon. Thank you.